we uh it looks like we're recording but usually yes. when i've done these things there's kind of some chatter in the beginning and then we kind of like hit record but since we're already recording we'll just probably just demarc a point when we're like okay now we're in the conversation and i'll like edit that um or i don't edit it down at all and this is all just like noise and stuff for the listener Who's works for say? me <laughs> I listen to some podcasts where like 35 minutes into the podcast, they're like, should we start the show? Yeah, I guess that is the show, right? All the small talk. Um, yeah. I do have, I do have a semblance of a list of topics here that we thought we would cover today. Cool. And um, yeah, where do you want to start? Um, what are you, what are you up to? Like, why, why are you, why are you doing this? <laughs> Why am I doing a uh, quasi podcast with a friend slash previous coworker? Um, we caught up recently and realized that both of us were probably to some degree itching for something to keep ourselves busy with that was not work per se, um, especially right now, which is in early May of 2020, where there's a pandemic happening and everyone's like stuck at home. And uh, a lot of people in the world are probably shifting to remote work. And you and I had our own experiences, I think, shifting to remote work in the last, um, call it like year and a half for me, uh, almost a year for you. And uh, we thought, I think it would be valuable to just talk about some key differences. And along the way, we realized there's probably a whole bunch of other stuff we could talk about too that uh, other PMs might find interesting. We are have literally you? like 48 of those topics that are not scheduled for an episode, but they're just things that probably should be talked about. I tend to agree. What, um, what did I miss in, in the rationale for why we're doing this on your end? I think, that, I think that's good. Um, for me, I'm just bored and I need to have my hand in a hundred things at once all the time because I, I don't know. I think that's how I thrive. I, there, there, there's a lot of podcasts that go into that, that touch on the product management field and they go into best practices or really compelling and exciting stories about the great products or interviews with the greats in business or tech or VC or whatever. But like very few people talk about the real messy stuff in the day to day, um, despite there being thousands and thousands of people who do this job for a living. Um, you and I have talked before about how it sometimes can be a thankless job. Um, hence why this is called a therapy podcast. So yeah, this is one part boredom, two parts therapy, one part wanting to just make a podcast for the sake of making a podcast. Yeah. Now, one of the things I love about our conversations, um, both in the work context and just in, in general, uh, we spent time outside of meetings, just talking to each other. Um, and um, one of the things I love is that whenever a, an interesting kind of tangent comes up, you're always down to kind of go down that tangent uh, with me. And um, one thing you just said that I'd be curious to get your thoughts on and is why do you think product management is such a thankless job? And I don't disagree with it at all. But I'm curious if you have any theories for why that is. I don't. Um, but it feels like one of those jobs that is necessary for moving a product or even a an entire business forward in some cases. But for a lot of people I know and for myself, and I think in a lot of organizations, um, the product manager acts as the, I mean, 
there's terms for it. There, you act as sort of the servant leader in which you are leading, but you're also kind of supporting and moving things along, championing the ideas and the wins of your team, sometimes at the expense of yourself. And with that, I don't know if people really forget about the product manager, but it, it, it sort of comes with the, it, it sort of just comes with the package rather than being sort of a, um, a, a sort of package worth celebrating in itself, I guess. I'm speaking in a metaphor that I don't know if I bought into. Um, but it, I don't know. It's, I have to imagine it's not thankless everywhere, uh, especially when I hear um, about organizations that are quote unquote product led. Um, if, a, if an organization is led by a product, how can the product manager or the product, the team of product managers be sort of in a thankless or a kind of behind the scenes position? Have I just always worked in not product led companies? I don't think that's true. Um, and yeah, what maybe, even is a product-led company? I mean, these days, software plays such a critical role in any sort of scalable business that, um, yeah, you know, there's like software-first companies where the, the thing they charge people for is the software. And then there's kind of software-enabled businesses where what they charge people for is not actually the software, but the software helps them facilitate the transaction. Um, I have a theory that when things are working really well, PMs just kind of like blend in to like the the fabric of the process and um, it's not as clear it's not as easy to kind of like put your finger on exactly what the PMs are doing to drive um, to drive the impact or to make the process better um, in my experience it does get noticed by the people in the team like the individual contributors that I work with like the engineers and designers um, are often the ones that I end up building the longest standing relationships with because they're in the trenches and they see what I actually do. Um, but I find that either other PMs or uh, people that are just kind of laterally, um, maybe like ambiently involved in the things I work on, just maybe don't have as much of a direct exposure to it. Um, and I would, I would include uh, management to some degree, uh, at some mm -hmm. of the companies I've worked at in that bucket as well. Yeah. Um, I get your point about sort of if, if everything's a well-oiled machine, you're kind of not noticed. Like I literally used to work on a product who that which the product's MO was sort of, if we're doing our job, you don't know we exist. It, it's a back-end service platform, part of a larger kind of cog. It, it's a cog in the larger machine of an e-commerce giant. Um, product managers sort of play that role, I guess, while sort of seeking opportunities for leadership and strategic um, thought, yeah, strategic thought leadership. Does this make for a good podcast where I'm kind of continually rephrasing things that I'm saying? I think uh, continuing in the spirit of unedited conversation. Uh, sure. Why not? Nice. Um, but yeah, I, I get your point. Um, speaking of which, probably something we should do first if this is our first episode proper like how did you get ourselves. here <laughs> yeah like what what did what do you do what did you do like why why are you here talking about product management <laughs> uh it's really funny because i'm uh, I'm interviewing right now for jobs and i do get asked quite frequently like yeah like tell me a little bit about your story or how did you how did you uh, get into product management so it's funny that it's coming up um, again and i have a bit of a blurb um yeah i mean for me uh, I started my career in finance and um, 
moved to San Francisco to join an investment bank and uh, realized I'd rather be building stuff than analyzing things that other people are building. Uh, ended up leaving that job to start a company with a couple friends, um, which was kind of like an open table for clothing stores is the vision that we were trying to drive for. Um, when that didn't work out, like many startups don't, I uh, moved back to San Francisco and joined the startup called Life360, uh, which is a location sharing app for families. Um, it was very small at the time, Series B, uh, about 30 people. And they had one PM at the time who, uh, like me, was half Israeli. And we became friends in the following months. And um, I ended up supporting him a lot with our uh, localization efforts as we expanded into a bunch of new languages. And um, after a while, he's like, dude, you could do this job. You should, you should have your own team. He's like, we were both founders before. Um, this, this, that was his first PM role, and he was really enjoying it. And um, I ended up deciding I also wanted to try being a PM. I, uh, Life360 had raised a $50 million Series C within like a month after I joined and we're starting to ramp up hiring for PMs, but looking for more like four or five years of PM experience. So I ended up switching to a different startup called Breeze, which was in the ride sharing space. And I joined them as their first PM. Um, they were about 50 people at the time, Series A company. And uh, I led this team that built a fleet management tool internally. And a year after I joined, uh, we got acquired by Ford. And I stayed two years after the acquisition as we scaled, uh, essentially launched and scaled a new business called Canvas, which used a lot of the tech that we built at Breeze and kept the core of the team um, to do more of a direct-to-consumer offering of an alternative to buying and leasing cars. And uh, in the process, started using Abstract to grow our design team and collaborate on design files. and um, met uh, Tom, one of the first engineers at Abstract, uh, or maybe the first engineer at Abstract and started giving him a lot of feedback and that resulted in lunches and coffees. And then when Abstract was finally uh, hiring their first product manager, I joined, um, I applied and ended up uh, joining early last year in 2019. And uh, we met at Abstract uh, as fellow PMs. I think you were our fourth, no, yeah, fourth PM that we hired. Number four. And uh, that's, and then I left abstract at the end of February in a layoff. And I think every day you're reading now more about layoffs. Just yesterday, uh, Airbnb announced that they're laying off 1,900 people, which is about 25% of their workforce. Um, and I, I can almost, I think I would, I would need a whole page to, to just list all the companies that have done layoffs in the last couple months. And it's a really interesting time to be looking for a job. So I'm happy to chat with you and keep kind of flexing some of these uh, PM thinking skills and reflect on uh, my experience with you. 1900 people is roughly the size of the population of a town near where I live. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. They, uh, I read Brian Chesky's memo that he sent out the whole company and I think they treated everyone extremely fairly. Um, they're expecting their revenues this year to be less than 50% of what they were last year. Um, so they're, they're doing whatever they have to do to survive. And, um, it must be really tough. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be a CEO of a company that is in the travel space right now. I think it would just be, you're looking at a bunch of bad options if I had to guess. Yeah. Yeah. I have no, I feel very bad for those people. Yeah. Yeah. How did you end up here? Um, pretty much by accident. Um, but I think it's, it's funny that, um, I have a similar experience of somebody telling me you could totally do this job. Um, but I came in from a different angle. Um, 
and actually an even more polarizing angle because I came into the workforce with a music degree, which is weird for two reasons, in my opinion. One, like I totally wanted to work in a recording studio or something like that. And then that was at the time when iTunes was killing the music industry. So there was basically no money to be paying entry level people. In fact, I remember when I was in college, um, the internship I took was the only one that gave, that was able to pay any money at all. Um, and I like money, so that was important. Um, the second reason why I find it interesting is that this, this will be a topic for a future podcast, is that like most of the great PMs I know are liberal arts majors, specifically like in creative fields. And I think there's something interesting there to talk about. Um, but anyway, I came into the workforce at a music startup answering the phones, talking to bands, basically. Um, I had picked up an internship, which then evolved into a full-time job with a startup called Sonic Bids Corporation. That company is now a subsidiary of a larger company called Backstage, which is really a talent booking um, platform for musicians, but also kind of a larger kind of uh, fields of talent, acting, um, et cetera. And I, like I said, started answering phones, dealing with musicians and talent bookers for music um, venues, licensing for TV commercials and movies and things like that. Um, spent all day talking to bands and hearing their complaints about our platform and things that we could be doing better for them. And realized that it was only so fulfilling to hear them out and try and help them answer their questions when I realized that there's a whole other field of like actually making the product that they were using better. Um, so I made friends with the VP of product at the time who oversaw engineering and QA as well, became a QA analyst and ended up being kind of the lead QA for a while. That then evolved into a product role because there was a vacancy on the product team. And then I was in my first product management job because it was like, you could totally do this job. Learned a bunch of stuff, decided to jump ship after um, some strategic changes in that company. And I ended up inadvertently in the e-commerce world, taking a product manager job at a startup called CustomAid, which was sort of a higher end, more bespoke, one of a kind approach to what Etsy is now really effectively doing, um, which is getting a marketplace for people to buy custom stuff, um, jewelry, furniture, home decor, things like that. And I did anything and everything that a product manager could or needed to do for that company. Um, project managing, um, building of internal tools, um, doing uh, vendor selection for payment gateways, email service uh, providers, um, iterating on our acquisition funnel, building entirely new experiences for the merchants that use the platform to actually get jobs. Um, and then I was laid off for that company from that company about three years later when we um, desperately needed to pivot and kind of simplify our offering because we were running out of runway, to put it simply. Um, I was then fortunately um, offered a job to work at Wayfair which is still an e-commerce, but a very different and much larger company. And um, I kind of used and appreciated the diversity of product work that I had done at CustomAid 
to realize that there was an interesting opportunity to do product management for the supply chain division of Wayfair. So Wayfair is obviously a storefront for customers to buy things for their home, but there's also a whole other kind of underbelly of product and technology that facilitates how do we get the products to them. Um, so I product managed a supply chain API product for them for a little while that evolved into a broader kind of program management role, trying to figure out how we integrate that product into more strategic business um, initiatives around delivery and order fulfillment. Um, then I was given the honor, uh, the privilege to go do that for Wayfair in Europe. So I went and lived in Berlin for a while, um, kind of evangelizing and managing programs out there. Then for a bunch of personal reasons, my wife and I, who came out with me, decided that we wanted to come back to the U.S. So I used it as an opportunity to try and do something completely different at Wayfair. And I took on a 3D um, space planning product um, that we were in the process of building for our users to help kind of plan out spaces in their home and in the attempt to help them find the right furniture for their home. So that was a really interesting uh, foray into the world of 3D, AR, VR, um, kind of next-gen tech, if you will. Then I decided to leave Wayfair and start working at Abstract, where I met you, um, for a bunch of reasons, all of which are things that we could probably talk about in future versions of this podcast. Um, one, I wanted to work remotely. Two, I just thought the problem space of abstract was really interesting. Abstract, for those who aren't familiar with it, is a tool to help design teams work with a higher degree of accountability through effectively like version control in the design process. And along the way, collaborate with different business stakeholders who are invested in those designs in helping to kind of raise visibility to design decisions that are made. Um, so that's where I went to after Wayfair. Um, that's where I met Ben. That is where I am still doing this job today, but I am still finding myself bored just do managing a product. So I'm also making a podcast about product. And that's all I have to say. <laughs> that is definitely not all you have to say, but maybe that's all you have to say about that. <laughs> um, so what are you doing in, when you talk about being bored? Um, what are you currently doing in your spare time as a bored person outside of work? Um, I have a, too many things. Um, I recently bought a house, which is weird just to say at all, given like the state of um, millennials in America. I should note that like we're both in, I think, our early 30s. So um, I feel weird and immensely privileged to call myself a homeowner. So I'm kind of really trying to own that and just like putting a lot of time into just like making a great home, um, gardening. DIY projects around my house, doing nerdy tinkering with technology in an attempt to make a smarter house, which is really fun, but also um, spending a lot of time with my wife and puppy, which is not just doing fun and nice family things, but like maybe coming up with business ideas with my wife um, on the side, which I'm happy to get into if it is warranted. Um, yeah, I don't know why, but I find myself always trying to find things to do in my spare time. I don't know why this is the case. I think I just get bored with only having the day job. 
Um, I don't know about you, but I feel like product management is a job that warrants getting so deep into and immersed into the product that you are managing that I feel like I just need stuff on the side to like not feel like it's con- just taking over my life. I don't know yeah. if you feel the same way. So right now I'm, I'm not managing any products. So I, I feel like I, um, I'm not feeling it right now, but I, what I will say is um, in the past, I've gotten a tremendous amount of benefit from not as much side projects as a PM, but more um, like vacations or like holidays and just changing context. And um, I always, I mean, not always, but like over the last few years, some of the best kind of like strategic ideas I've had or kind of like breakthroughs in my thinking have happened when I come back from, um, from a, from a vacation and or a trip or something. And it gives me a whole different lens, but I agree with you that the nature of diving into the weeds and kind of uh, the details end up, they, they can, I think, weigh down your thinking and limit your creativity after a while, because I don't know if it's like a fundamental human psychology thing, but I think we kind of, we can come to accept certain things as like rigid constraints um, on a project because you just keep talking about them as if they're limiting you. And then after a while, they just become limiting factors that you just assume. Um, or at least for me, that's kind of how it feels. And I think teams are prey to this pattern as well. I don't think it's just on the level of the individual. And then sometimes I come back from a trip and I'm like, well, um, this thing that I was seeing as a limiting factor is actually a lever. Um, and we could, we could like move it. Um, and it's, and if, and we could move it by doing certain types of things. Um, and I think that whatever individual PMs need to do to get that change of perspective, I think is a really healthy thing. And sometimes it takes the form of side projects, but um, I haven't historically been a big side project guy. And I I mean, I had side projects uh, that was really excited about when I was like looking to get into product management because it let me use the PM muscle. I built a side project called Breathe uh, with one of the iOS developers at Life360 who I've become really good friends with. And um that helped me kind of uh do the like uh be the type of professional that i was aiming to be in a more formal setting as like a product person um but have you found that these kind of like you know you and i both like to write we have newsletters um do you find that (laughs) i haven't written my newsletter in like two months yeah uh, coronavirus, like got, coronavirus got me down on uh writing but yeah sorry finish your question i was just gonna ask if you if you find um does anything that i said resonate with you both on the level of like maybe taking breaks time off side projects as it pertains to me oh, like, yeah yeah 100 percent um i especially now that we basically can't travel because planes don't exist anymore and everywhere i don't know if this is a thing where where you live but um it seems like a lot of the like naturey places that i would travel to like trails or campgrounds or anything like those have become overrun by people who would not normally go there because those are the those are the places to get away now which i think is interesting mm-hmm. um but we're not really traveling much i've had multiple conversations with my significant other about whether or not traveling is scratching the itch now that it used to and maybe side projects is now the thing that's um scratching the itch but also giving me that 
like context separation that allows me to come in fresh. But I think it, it's interesting because it op- operates on like a much more kind of rapid time horizon. That is, I'm working on a side project right now and I'll probably be editing this down and or working on something um, like recording music. I forgot to mention, I also am a musician in which I'm trying to finish an album to promote. Um, and that's something I'm doing in the span of like four hours but I'm back on the job the next day. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes I come in with like a totally fresh perspective that allows me to, like you said, kind of um, look at a problem in a new direction or or with a new perspective or, um, or realize that something was not a blocker that I thought was, and I was just kind of getting hung up on. Um, So that totally resonates with me. Um, I think it's just a different way of achieving the same thing. Um, what I also found was interesting about what you said is like how you're exercising different professional muscles than you are in your sort of day job. Um, and that's where I mentioned that I'm tinkering with a possible product or business idea with my wife and where I'm not necessarily in control of all of the strategy in my day job, given I am a sort of not lowly, but lowly enough senior product manager and not a sort of head or C-suite person. Um, If I'm working on a product that's just me and my wife, who is not thinking about the product, but thinking about other things, I am that C-suite. I own all product direction and strategy and positioning and all that. And that's sort of weirdly empowering. Um, And I have to imagine that's probably the same motivation that brings a lot of people to thinking that they should start their own business or um, scratch a product idea that it is an itch for them. Um, mm. So yeah, maybe, maybe it is just like exercising different muscles. Um, but it's also interesting kind of being a musician or a tinkerer of things or a writer of things, because I also feel like as a product manager, I'm rarely the one actually building the product. And I feel like I'm doing a lot of those things to exercise a building muscle that I just don't do in my day job at all. My job is spent talking to people, writing documents, sharing and talking about the documents that I just wrote, um, writing a blog post and kind of deep thinking about a problem space um, and then actually putting that forth, publishing it is kind of exercising a different edge constructing a song and a recording is a totally different version of that. Um, in fact, one of the motivations to re- making a podcast is literally to scratch the itch of the editing and publishing of the podcast, which is just a funny meta thing, I guess. But um, yeah, that's, that's an itch that I've always had and a muscle I've always wanted to exercise that I just don't get in the day job. Um, I've seriously considered like learning more coding or taking a boot camp so that I can go build an app. I just haven't had a good app to go build, and that's why I haven't taken the boot camp. Um, but yeah, d- like, does that is that something you ever feel? Um, the desire to build um, build more, and uh, I guess like deal with the people less or whatever. Um, well, I, I mean that's my that's my dealing, <laughs> It's not necessarily dealing with the, with the people less, um, because like in a lot of cases you're gonna always deal with people. Like playing in a band, mm-hmm. for example, we're making songs, but it's still dealing with people. Like 
the reason why most bands break up is not because they couldn't make a song. It's because they couldn't get along with the people they were making the songs with. Um, What I will say is this. um, Over the years, I have dabbled in kind of like individual creation, creative work. Um, Writing is one of them. I I don't view writing as a collaborative effort. It's, it's like all, that's like my solo practice. Um, and all of the work I've done professionally for the most part has been teamwork. Um, like I've never done like solo entrepreneurship. I have not, um, I don't know. There's a lot of people out there that really are like solo people. And, um, I think that's really, I, I respect that. But the truth is I've played team sports my whole life. Um, grew up playing soccer, volleyball, even in tennis in high school. I was on like a doubles team in tennis, like in, in varsity, uh, varsity team. I didn't, I wasn't good enough as a solo tennis player. Um, so I, I've always found myself most excited and motivated and energized when I'm with great people who are good at things that I'm not good at. And I get super jazzed up about being the guy on the team who is good at what I do. Um, and then having other people rise to the occasion under the things that I don't know how to do, and then they do really well. And I feel like it's a recipe for mutual respect and also um, kind of like some degree of, some people call it synergy, but I think it's just teamwork and chemistry can produce more than what people can do on their own. Um, That is not a novel idea. I think it's an idea that a lot of people have. Um, but I've experienced. In it fact, they made a buzzword out of it, and it's called synergy. <laughs> synergy, exactly. Um, so yeah, for me, you know, I'm not. I, I, I've the thing I love the most just about building is um, is being on a team that's building something together. Is is the truth, and um, that kind of like thinkless thing we talked about at the beginning of the podcast is kind of like one of those things where uh, it's not thinkless within myself, if that makes sense. Like, I think PMs know what we do. Um, I think we, those of us who are introspective and reflective, like I think you and I both are most likely, um, we tend to have a good idea of where things may have gone without us and where they went because of us. Um, And I think I take a lot of, I don't know, like fulfillment or meaning out of knowing that very talented designers and engineers that I've worked with um, felt like more connected to the work that they do. And they felt like they were able to really spend their time on the things that they enjoyed rather than dealing with a lot of like the work around the work. Um, And in a a way that's something I find myself good at. I think a lot of PMs are good at kind of like creating that space for their team to do the creative work that they enjoy doing. And that is a type of work, right? Um, it's not like the act of building the product itself, but it's like helping build the process that helps you build the product. Um, if you take an approach, like a systems level approach to the team as the team is like a product and you're as a PM, you have control of a lot of levers, like direct levers. Like when do we meet? What do we talk about? How often do we ship? Um, how do we test? Like, how do we, what, how do we define what's good enough? Like those are all levers. Uh, how do we measure success? Right. Um, like the PM is kind of ultimately setting the tone on a lot of those things. And um, like I said, you know, after a while that machine gets cranking and the PM just kind of like blends in and like no one sees exactly what you're doing, but you know that you've actively shaped that process. Yeah. A lot of that is super interesting to me because I feel like that's one, that, that suite of thought is something that I really enjoy about the job of being in product is 
implementing those operations and processes and leveling them up if they need to be leveled up or defining those kind of values where they need to be defined. But then I get bored when that's no longer the problem to be solved, <laughs> um, which is probably my own problem, hence therapy. Um, and, may, and maybe maybe what I'm Tell getting into is maybe, maybe yeah. what I'm getting into is that that's not the only thing that I'm looking for. I have too many levers that I want to be, or too many itches or too many muscles that I want to be exercising. And I probably am at risk of burning myself out trying to do those things. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I, a lot of that resonates with me in terms of why I like the job. In fact, it's almost comforting to hear you talk about it because it reminds me when I like the, the things that I like about the job that I sometimes forget about. Um, and maybe that's one of the things that's going to be useful in us talking every week is <laughs> digging into some of these things and reminding ourselves like what are the things what are the things that are good or rewarding or painful but worth it in a way to doing this job um, but then also being able to talk about it and put it out and literally audio engineer it to scratch those other itches that the job itself doesn't necessarily offer yeah i think the conversation here is really kind of like the um you know it's like the content the substance and then I think that the format of the podcast, it has its own room for creativity. Um, I don't quite know exactly who the audience for this is, but I suspect it will be other product people or people maybe thinking about getting into product management. Um, speaking for myself, um, I personally really love um, hearing kind of like unedited conversations to the degree that they're useful. And I know you mentioned the same, so we're probably gonna do like the minimum amount of editing here with a little sound intro, maybe like an outro music, something like, maybe we could record something at the beginning of every episode that just makes sure that people know that like, this is Ben talking now, and then when you're talking to Brandon, cause maybe it's not clear um, to just someone who's never met us, like which one of us has been talking each time. Yeah. Uh, do you listen yeah, to I, the Exponent podcast that Ben Thompson puts out? No, is that the Stratechery uh, Ben Thompson? Yeah. Yeah, so Ben Thompson of Stratechery also does a podcast with the, I think, CFO of Cloudflare. I don't know if he's CFO, but he's in the C-suite at Cloudflare. And they start every podcast just saying hi to each other, but they're like, Ben, good to hear from you. And Yeah, <laughs> yeah they do something do. similar on the, um, the Startup Chat podcast that I like to listen to with uh, Steli FD and Keaton Shaw. Where at the beginning of every episode, they say, this is Steli, this is Heaton, and today we're going to talk about blah, blah, blah. Um, maybe one day we'll get there where we're kind of like buttoned up and have a topic every time we talk. But um, the beauty about therapy, and maybe this is kind of like where we could talk about the name, is that um, sometimes just creating a space for conversation about whatever's top of mind and being able to like explore that feeling or whatever together uh, is valuable in of its own. and. Um, you don't necessarily need to be like, yeah, let's have a buttoned up 15 minute talk about this topic and just like each kind of like ping pong it. Um, so I, I'm personally looking forward to this being somewhat unstructured and um, we'll see if people enjoy it. But even if they don't, this is kind of under the category of things in my head that's uh, enjoyable uh, as its own thing, regardless of any sort of like outcome or uh, traction. I 100% agree with everything you just said. <laughs> <laughs> um what else do we want to talk about today um i don't know 
we've covered a lot and it's been 40 minutes. Uh, hold on, I just had to download Notion for the first time on this device. I don't know, how are you feeling about your job search? Um, you mentioned before that it's, uh, it's weird job hunting at a time like this, especially in a field that in some ways, tech companies are weird right now because financially, a lot of sectors are doing well, or at least like the the major companies are doing really well, but some are suffering very badly, hence Airbnb. And um, we didn't mention this, but TripAdvisor also announced layoffs of I think a quarter of their staff. Um, there's a lot of delivery companies that are like thriving, but also suffering for different reasons, um, but trying to hire frantically. Like, how do you feel right now? I feel like things have been moving a little bit um, slower during the process because I think companies are adjusting to the new reality. Um, it hasn't been an issue getting interviews. Um, it's been a little harder to just get a feel for the companies as a candidate because you don't have, you know, like I've interviewed in offices and when you go to an office, there's like an energy in the office and you, um, you come in, you meet the recruiter, maybe you just randomly say hi to some people in the kitchen. Um, and you just kind of get this like ambient vibe of what it might be like to work at this company. And um, now there's none of that. All the interviews are, uh, are taking place over Zoom calls, just like this one. And I'm very comfortable on this call with you right now. We know each other. We've been on countless calls together and hung out in person several It'd times. It'd be really uh, funny if I yeah. was interviewing you for a job at another company that you've never worked at before. If you were interviewing I'm totally joking. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe one day. But um, yeah, so it's been, it's been interesting. I get, I get nervous before interviews for sure because I don't know the other person. There's clearly like this kind of power dynamic that exists where the other person is like gonna like rate me or something, right? Like kind of, they're going to judge, they're judging me. And like you, it's kind of like explicitly articulated that they are there to judge me and interview me. And then they're going to give me some kind of like score, right? Um, <laughs> like how, how highly did you think of that person? How much would you like to like hire them? Right. And, you know, I've been on the recruiting side of this plenty of times on the, on the company side. And so I know exactly kind of like what the process is like where I've worked. I'm imagining it's, it's been similar enough at the jobs I've had where I'm just imagining these companies I'm interviewing with have their own version of this. Um, so there's like a group of people who might get, get together after they meet me um, and discuss, right? Like would this person do well here or not? And um, some of these rounds of interviews, like they call it like the onsite phase. Now everyone's calling them virtual onsites um, are like five to six hours of calls, usually with five to six people. Um, lately, some of the recruiters have been very understanding when I've asked them to split it up into multiple days rather than do it all in one day. So I can kind of like re, uh, refill my batteries um, so I don't get drained for, from like five hours of uh, video calls, um, which is helpful. But it still is kind of like, you know, I've had some just this week, I had a three hour block of back-to-back uh, -back interviews of three different people. And, um, you know, by the end of it, you're kind of tired, but at the, but also it's like flexing muscles and you're like ready to keep talking. But I've also had on sites uh, earlier on in the search where 
had a day full of five to six hours of interviews. And by the end, I would meet a hiring manager who's like a VP of product. And that's like the person that you want to impress. That's the person you want to have a really good connection and high energy conversation with. And I felt drained by the time that that conversation came around. And they would ask me a question for like the fourth time that day about how, like, tell me about your story. Like, I'm looking at your resume, but can you tell me in your own words? Yeah, you I, how do you not know this already? <laughs> yeah. So I think that that's really the thing that gets me is like, I, I really enjoyed on sites where every person just asks me different questions and like they're trying to assess different things throughout the day because it at least keeps the conversation interesting for me and I don't repeat myself. Uh, where it really starts to feel like a grind is when people, when it's evident that they're not communicating with each other or that they're asking me the same questions um, that the other person asked. And then I have to just repeat myself, but try to make it sound fresh, which is a type of lying. Because um, if I was being honest with them, I'd say, hey, I already answered that question. And like, I'm going to give you now a version that is going to be exactly the same as the one I just gave. So if it sounds like not organic it's because there's nothing organic about you asking this question again um right so i feel like i can it can get frustrating like that sometimes but i'm, I'm i think the rust is off now um that was like a lot of my kind of frustrations of the process were in the first maybe like month of looking um i i've, I've kind of i looked very passively in march maybe like talked to a few companies while I did some consulting work. And then I've really been interviewing kind of full-time uh, all of April. And now we're in the first week of May. Um, and just haven't found any really good fits yet. And, you know, fit is a mutual thing. So um, there's a lot of companies out there that are hiring that I just would have no interest in working for. Um, I and, feel then that. and then there's companies that are hiring that I could find myself interested in working for, but um, ultimately got to trust that they know what kind of, PM would be really good there. And um, I've met with a bunch of candidates as an interviewer who I thought were really awesome and we didn't end up giving um, offers to because maybe there was another candidate that was better or maybe because there was a certain like skill set that we thought they were missing that would set them up for success in that role. Or, um, you know, there's a, there's a hundred different reasons something uh, cannot turn into an offer. And I've been essentially just reminding myself of that uh, and not taking any of the stuff personally. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of there that is interesting because of remote. Um, I have to imagine that there are some people who are not comfortable interviewing via a Zoom call. Um, it's interesting thinking about that um, and comparing it to when I was interviewing for my current job, which was an entirely remote interview because I do not live in San Francisco. Um, I live in the basically the farthest possible place in the U.S. you could live from San Francisco, um, but it definitely feels like there is an amount of preparation and alignment that you could have achieved when you're interviewing a remote candidate. And my guess is that a lot of companies that are doing these remote interview loops for the first time are expecting it to be as simple as it would have been getting into a room and just like hashing out interview criteria and kind of giving up the roles um, of everybody in the interview loop. Um, I have sat through many of those conversations of who's going to interview on these topics and what questions are you going to ask? Um, my guess is that that's either not happening in a bunch of cases anymore or when it's happening, um, people are struggling to find consensus over Zoom, which is interesting because it's probably not unique to recruiting. It's just especially bad when we're talking about recruiting because it directly 
affects your ability to leave a good impression on a candidate, um, which is hard in itself because you're, like you said, not getting sort of the, the culture and the vibe of the place you'll be working. The place you'll be working is the place where you're sitting um, in your home uh, until something changes. <laughs> yeah, and I think Abstract did some really really good things when I interviewed there as well. Like for example, my onsite round was four calls that took place over four different days. Um, I don't believe any of them asked me the same questions. I met with a designer, engineering manager, another engineering manager, and an engineer. And they all had their own questions that they wanted to ask. And I found the conversations to be very refreshing uh, and not redundant. Um, also, one thing that sticks out from interviewing um, is that, and, and maybe this is like just a people thing in general for me, but I find myself to really kind of um, mirror the energy and the vibe that the interviewer gives me. Um, so sometimes interviewers come on a call and they're just like very like buttoned up and just like no nonsense, just dive right in. And then they want me to tell them about myself. And it's like, it puts me in a, a guarded kind of like defensive position. And it, I, I feel like it's very hard for me to have an organic connection when that's kind of like the framing. But some people I've interviewed with just kind of, they start, they introduce themselves, they have very open body language, they're kind of smiling. Um, they're in like a well-lit room. Um, they just like, they, they really make an effort to make me feel like they're kind of like rooting for me to like, for this to be a good conversation. And I feed off of that. And then I think it ends up being a better conversation. And so I feel like a lot of, I don't, I don't know if, you know, maybe there's something here about it being remote or it just being a personality thing, but um, I really don't think that people who can't give that kind of energy to a candidate, um, I don't think they can really make the candidate feel comfortable, or at least if, if the candidate is like me. Um, so, and, and you know, I, I really find it interesting and wonder if hiring teams evaluate stuff like that when they figure out who's ultimately talking to people. Like, will this person make a candidate feel comfortable or not? Oh, they definitely do because I've been in those conversations um, in previous gigs, kind of being told that I would be a good person to upsell or, or sorry, um, sell, the sell the candidate on a role or the company or the problem space. Um, as opposed to somebody else who might be more of a kind of domain expert. Um, but I also wonder how much of this is, again, just the nature of the Zoom call and some personalities either being um, better suited for that type of energy on a video call or just have more practice. Um, because I, I, I've interviewed for multiple uh, roles where the company is either entirely remote or predominantly remote or remote open and is thus a little bit better trained on this. Whereas people who are not trained on this are just trying to figure it out for the first time or also conflating all of this is they're struggling potentially with other problems at home um, given the current living situation that they're probably having and they might be a little bit burned out. They might have other stuff on their mind, which is just, again, cascading into this whole thing as well. Um, which is a really tricky and um, are we going to swear on this podcast? Shitty thing to deal sure. with. <laughs> yeah, I, I think there's no rules. Uh, I think we might have to like put like an explicit content thing on the, the app store. But um, 
Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I had uh, one conversation with someone who um, my guess is they were having some kind of terrible day outside of the conversation and then happened to just like join the call with me to interview me. Um, this person looked extremely tired, um, literally like put the head, their hand down on a desk and put their head on their hand and just kind of like started interviewing me from this like tired posture. Um, and it's almost impossible to have a good conversation with a stranger starting at that. I, I kind of wanted to just like be like, hey, are you okay? Like, are you all right? Like, um, do you like need a hug? <laughs> it's like you like it's it's you want to treat people like humans. Um, and I feel like sometimes the formality of the process just makes it really hard. And that person would just simply not be uh, in that kind of mood. I don't think they would allow themselves to be in that kind of body language in an office. Like if you're sitting in an office that has like, you know, glass walls, like some offices I've been in and everyone can like see you as they walk to the kitchen and back or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you're in there and you're interviewing someone and someone walks by and you're just like slouching like this to the side. And I think that would be like, someone would be like, yo, like, were you, were you like, interviewing someone and sitting like that like that would be weird right yeah but but and we get other it, but people with things like that happening now yeah other people take notice and then potentially hiring manager or recruiter takes notice and then you get penalized for doing that that doesn't none of that happens in a remote environment because no one's watching you unless you literally have the recruiter on the call with you watching how you interview there's no rules it's wild it's it's a literal kind of wild west also, no recruiters really have kind of, um, the only recruiter who has been actively getting my feedback on how I thought the conversations went is a uh, independent recruiter that's kind of uh, introduced me to a couple companies that she just wants to know like how things are going along the way. Hmm. But none of the in-house recruiters who I've uh, interacted with have actually followed up with me after interviews to say like, hey, you had four interviews. Um, I would love to know how each of the interviewers did um, in each of their interviews. Like, can you, can you give me any feedback, anything that would have made it better? Um, so I find it really fascinating because the recruiting process is like a product and like they are the builders of the product. And it's, it's fascinating that they're not trying to like improve the product by asking me like for feedback. Um, and I do have feedback and it's not like I'm like, if it doesn't result in an offer, if they say no, it's not like, I'm not going to like be resentful as I give them feedback. I'll just say, Hey, like here's maybe a couple things that could have been done to make me just a little bit more comfortable. And maybe if I was more comfortable, I would have done a little better, but um, take it or leave it, you know, like take it with a grain of salt. You don't have to do anything based on my feedback, but like the fact that they're not even asking for the feedback is fascinating. Cue upcoming episode topic around why every single part of a business is basically a product management job at the end of the day. <laughs> Amen, brother. Is that where we wrap? It seems like a good place to wrap. Yeah, we're a little over the, uh, well, I guess actually we're not at the- We started a couple months late because, because bladders are real. Yep, you're on the East Coast. It's getting evening time for you. I'm sure you have stuff to do before the sun sets. I got to go um, grill some steaks. <laughs> ooh, that sounds delicious. Let's um, maybe stop recording or just leave the call, however you want to do it. <laughs> stop recording. This is all going on to into the episode, by the way. Sure. Leave the editing. No, you hang up. No, you stop recording. <laughs>